Are you ready for the word? All right, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse number 39. Luke chapter 22, verse number 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he, was, he withdrew himself from them, a stone's throw away, knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if this is your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He arose up from prayer and had come to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, this coming Friday night of course, is our Good Friday service. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to preach on the garden, get you prepared for Good Friday, and then we'll celebrate Easter. Is that good? So we deal with the garden tonight, because how many knows the garden comes before the crucifixion, or, uh, the, the death? And so we'll do the garden tonight, Friday night we'll do... Uh, we'll remember his death, and then Sunday morning we'll celebrate the, uh, e uh, the Easter story and what God is doing there. Before I go, uh, Brother Eddie, it's so good to see you. Eddie, stand up with your, your father. Uh, introduce your father to us. Oh, your father, Eddie, okay. Brother Eddie and Brother Eddie. Uh, well, Dad Eddie pastored in California, is that correct, Pastor? For how many years? 29 years he pastored in California, so he's here visiting his son, Eddie, and so it's so good he pastored in the Pentecostal Church of God, so we honor you tonight. Thank you for your years of service, and thank you for worshiping with us tonight. Amen. Would you give Pastor Eddie a great big hand clap of appreciation tonight? So we're dealing with the garden tonight, and Father, we just ask you to bless the preaching of your word, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would hear your word. We won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Um, you know, sometimes during the Easter season, we hear of uh, the, the uh, we hear of the resurrection quite often, the blood of Jesus, and sometimes um, we fail to see the significance in the the garden story. And I believe that if you look really closely, that you will see some things in this story that will really. Um, be beneficial to your life, and I want to talk about that. Uh, if you look at the word Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means a place of pressing, a place of pressure. And uh, how many would agree with me that you've been there before? A place of pressure, a place of, uh, of pressing. And so you find that Jesus, our Lord, our Master, is in a place of pressing, a place of pressure, before He was crucified and before he uh, was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the Father. And uh, this story has great significance because I believe it relates to all of us tonight because all of us can testify we've all had pressure in our life. I don't think there's any of us that will not agree that we've all faced pressure in our life at one time or another. Would you agree with me? And if you look at the Scripture, I believe that there are different seasons and times in our journey with God, that uh, we face different things at different times. Remember, Jesus said, my hour is not yet come. 
because uh, Jesus had an appointed time that he would face uh, death. He had an appointed time that he faced temptation. And so there are appointed times in our life that I believe that we go through seasons of pressure. We go through seasons of testing. And we need to know what to do when we're in that season of pressure. When we, we need to know what we need to do when we're in that season of testing. Now, if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll find three locations in the Bible where the people of God or a person of God was tested or tried or felt some sort of pressure. Number one, it is called the wilderness. And we know uh, the children of Israel left Egypt and they, they found themselves in the wilderness. It was an 11-day journey, but they stayed there for 40 years. And so the wilderness was a season of testing. It was a season of trying. Of course, they could have made it in 11 days if they would just submitted their heart. They had an evil heart of unbelief is what the book of Hebrews says. So the wilderness was a season of testing for the children of Israel. The cross uh, was a, also a place of testing uh, for Jesus our Lord. He was tested on the cross. The garden was also a place of testing or a, a place of pressure. And I believe that these three different locations, very real in itself, it's a real reality that these places exist, but yet it's a spiritual thing as well. And I believe that each of these different locations represent some sort of pressure in our life. For instance, I believe that the wilderness is a place where we deal with the enemy. It's a season where we deal with the enemy himself. Now, uh, you remember Jesus, he was in the wilderness and he dealt with the enemy. He was tested and tried of the enemy. And there are seasons in our life where we will be tested and tried of the enemy. You remember the Apostle Paul said that he was buffeted by the enemy. He was tested and tried by the enemy. But the Spirit said, my grace is sufficient. He, 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 he had a season where the enemy actually was testing and trying him. And you will find in your life that there are seasons in your life where the enemy will do an all-out attack against you. That is, that's a wilderness experience. Jesus experienced it. The prophets experienced it in the wilderness. Uh, and you're going to experience it spiritually. The cross is a place of physical testing. Actually, physical testing. There may become a time in your life that you are sick. There are times in your life that you are afflicted physically. Like Jesus was afflicted physically on the cross you will come to a place in your life that you might be afflicted physically and you need a healing touch from the Lord. What about the garden? The garden is a place of internal struggle. It's a place of internal struggle. It's not physical. It's not physical. You're not sick physically. You're not necessarily fighting the devil, but you are fighting something internally. It could be your own insecurities. It could be your own battles, your own thoughts. I think some of us believe everything we think, you know. We're always believing everything we think. We're always struggling. We're always overanalyzing everything. And uh, we could sleep at night if we can just turn our minds off, you know. It's that garden. We're always internalizing stuff. We're always struggling with stuff. We're all, how many would just agree with me that, we've, that you've been in the garden before? I mean, you've been there before. But I believe that all of us can testify that these three, these three locations actually do represent something in our life. There are times that we deal with the devil. There are times where we feel like there is an assault against us from the evil one, and that is scriptural. And there are times that we feel like we're afflicted physically in our body, 
And then there are times that we feel like there is an internal struggle on the inside of us. We can't put our finger on it. We've had prayer over it. It's something that you struggle with. And sometimes you might have to struggle with that a long time. Maybe it's God's grace that will bring you through that. But Jesus went through all three of them. Jesus had confrontation with the devil. He fought with the devil. He was tempted of the devil. His hour had come where he was tempted of the devil. Jesus was attempted physically on the cross. But yet Jesus had an internal struggle in the garden. And where are you at tonight? Maybe you're at all three. <laughs> Maybe you feel like you're afflicted physically. Maybe you feel like you're fighting the devil. Maybe you also feel like there's internal struggle on the inside of you. But wherever you're at tonight, there is hope beyond the scope of human limitation. Amen? And, and, and God has given us resources that we can deal with. Now, I want to look at the garden just for a moment because um, I think it's significant. Let's just look at the third place. The place of internal struggle. The place of internal pressure. Now, I've said this before, so if, if this is a review to you, I'm quite aware of it, but I, I think it's applicable for me to say it again because I think it's so important. Uh, in the Bible, there are many different types of gardens, if you'll recall. Remember, there is the Garden of Eden. Uh, you, you'll recall the Garden of Eden. That's found in Genesis 2 and verse 8, how God planted a garden eastward in Eden and plant, he put man, man and woman in the garden. Uh, number two, there's the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a place where Jesus went to pray with few of his disciples. That's found in almost all the Gospels. You have the Garden Tomb, that is the place where Jesus himself was put in, and three days later he was resurrected. And then you have the Garden of Eternal Life, which is found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. And the Bible says that in that city there is a garden called the Garden of Eternal Life where you and I will meet the Lord and will spend the endless ages of eternity in that garden. And so it's interesting to me that what was destroyed in the garden, what was taken away in the garden, the Garden of Eden, we lost, our, we lost the image of God. The, Im, or the image of God was corrupted, should I say. It, we, 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 we became out of fellowship with God in the garden. And what God wants to do is He wants to bring us back to the garden. Isn't that interesting? He wants to bring us back to the place that the devil took. And why? Why the garden? Because the garden is a place where God desires to speak to you. The garden is a place where God desires to manifest His presence to you. Even in the midst of your struggle, God desires to speak to you in the midst of your struggle. Jesus was ministered to by the angels in the garden. Because God desires to minister to you in your struggle in the garden. Amen? In the garden, He desires to minister to you to you. Um, it's a place of pressure. It's a place of suffering. And uh, sometimes it's not a pretty place, you know. Uh, so it's a place where we hit rock bottom. It's a tight place, you know. Sometimes we want, uh, we wait, we, we pray for God to deliver us out of that place. We, we argue with God. We wrestle back and forth. How many has been in a place where you've argued with God about you know, God, I want you to release me from this place, but God never released you from that place. How many would, how many's ever been there before? Yes, because it's a place of internal struggle. And, and, you know, sometimes we're used to this magic Christianity. We name it and we claim it. We, we, but, you know, um, I don't know if that's totally scriptural. 
I do believe that it's important that you confess the word and stand by the word and live by the word. But I also believe that God is sovereign. And I believe that God, God sometimes wants you to walk through some things. Sometimes God wants you to go through some things. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God's will is for you to stay in the furnace. And I hear an amen. You can be delivered out. You can say, God, deliver me out of the furnace. But sometimes God wants you to stay in the furnace. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, I, I listen, I've been in prayer lines, I've been prayed for, I've had so much oil on me, I've looked like a greasy pig at a county fair. I mean, I've had people pray for me, lay hands on me, I've walked around the building, I've done Jericho marches, I've quoted scripture, I've talked in tongues, my tongue has cleaved to the roof of my mouth, trying to believe God to bring me out of some things, and all the time God is saying, my plan and my desire, my sovereign will, is that you struggle with this in the garden, because in your struggle, I want to do something something in you that cannot be done outside of the garden. You've got to stay in the garden and let God do what He wants to do. Not every person is healed. I know we're Pentecostals, but not every person is going to be healed. I'm sorry, I don't understand, but not every person is going to be healed. We believe He does. We believe He will. We believe the Scripture is true, but He is the great physician. We believe the Word and leave the results up to God. But not every person is healed. Not every marriage is fixed. Not every relationship is whole. Not every pocketbook is full. Not every job is beneficial. Sometimes God's plan is saying, I'm not going to fix it. It's not healed. It's not delivered. It's not mended. But I'm going to give you the grace to stay through it. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you the grace to stay through it. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul prayed and cried out to God for God to deliver him. The Bible says that the Bible says in the, the book of 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 7, the Lord came to Paul and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in my weakness, in your weakness. And that's what God does. If God doesn't deliver you from it, He'll give you the grace for the race. Somebody say amen. He's going to give you grace for the race. He'll give you grace for the race. When you feel like you're discouraged and you've done all that you can do and you can't get through it, you need to remind yourself, He's given me grace for the race. He's given me grace for the race. I'm not going to give up, throw in the towel, give up. I'm going to stay in the race because He's given me grace for the race. In every garden of pressure, there's always going to be the grace of His presence. He's going to give you grace to make it all the way. He's going to give you grace to go to the cross if need be. He'll give you grace to cope with people when everybody else is sleeping in the garden and you can't get anybody to pray with you. He will give you grace for it. He will give you grace to believe God when it looks like it's not going to be beneficial in the end. He's going to give you grace when you feel like you're going to lose your mind. Reminds me of that old hymn of the church. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan shall buff, though through trials should come, least this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul, it is well 
with my soul. You've got to come to a place in your life that no matter what happens, no matter what predicament you may find yourself, you've got to make a decision. You're going to be productive in the midst of your predicament and you're going to have grace for the race and you've got to make a decision. It is well with my soul. No matter what happens, it's well with my soul. If they leave me, it's well. If you leave me, leave my church, it's well. It's well with my soul. Because he's my security. You backstab me, it's well with my soul. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. It's the guard, it's pressure. But I've got to come to a place, it's well with my soul. Whether people like you, whether they pat you on the back, whether they approve of you, whether they forget your name, you've got to come to a place in the garden where you say, it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. Oh, I've learned to trust Him in the fire. I've learned to trust Him in the waters. I've learned to trust Him in the valleys. Got to come to a place where you're secure and steadfast. It is well with my soul. Hallelujah. Somebody raise your hands and bless the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. It's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Somebody just bless the Lord tonight. It's well with my soul. It's well. Come to a place where God says, it's well with my soul. How many, is there anybody that can stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I launch onto that word tonight that the Lord has spoken to me that no matter what I find, no matter what my lot may be, I've decided tonight I've got to be comfortable with it. I've got to be content with it that it's going to be well with my soul. It's well with my soul. Hallelujah. I'm not going to jump from here. I'm not going to jump from there. I'm not going to go from here and there and try and find peace and fulfillment and rest. I've got to come to a place in my life where it's well with my soul. Hallelujah. It's well with my soul. And that's what happens with church. That's what happens with people, folks. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to move here so I can be happy. No, you're not happy because your heart's not happy. You move there, and three months later, you want to move somewhere else. Leave this church, go to next church. You still ain't happy, because it's a soul thing. Divorce one person, marry another person. It ain't that person, it's you. If Susie has a problem with Bill, Susie has a problem with Charlotte, Susie has a problem with Brandon. Susie has a problem with Josh. Susie has a problem with Sean. Who has the problem? Susie. Got to come to a place. It's well. What do you do in the garden when you feel like it's pressure? Number one, you develop a place and time for prayer. That's what you do in the garden. You pray. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 22, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 39, the Bible says coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, they followed him and they came to a place and he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So the very first thing that you've got to do when you get to the garden, you've got to pray. What are you saying, pastor, when you feel the pressure, when you feel the struggle, it's a time to pray. It's a time to seek God. Because when he prayed, the Bible says angels came to minister to him. You will not be ministered to unless you pray. 
Notice the prayer life of Jesus. Mark 1, verse 35. I want to go through some scriptures tonight. I want you to see the prayer ministry of Jesus. How Jesus' life was focused around prayer. Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. Now, early in the morning, having risen long before the daylight, He went out and departed to a solitude place, and there He prayed. You see, Jesus prayed all night and preached ten minutes. Preachers now preach all day and pray for ten minutes. The reason why we got to have all the smoke and the fog and the machines and lights, all that's good and fine because we might do it. Nothing wrong with it. But it can't substitute for the power of God. The reason why some of them do it is because they can't preach. They don't have the power of God. So they got to have all the entertainment to entertain you to stay for an hour. When I was growing up in church, they preached conviction. Not a self-help message. You do these seven steps and give your offering and you're okay. That's not preaching. Preaching the Word is the gospel of Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the gospel. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Notice the prayer ministry of Jesus. Matthew 14, 23. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up to the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when the evening was come, He was alone. You see the pattern here? He sent people away. He didn't take somebody in the prayer closet. I'm going, you know, I'm going to take my phone. You know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me one time? I had my phone in the prayer closet. And the Lord says, can you just put the phone, can you just, and honest to God, I heard that from the Lord. Because I had my phone right there. And I was speaking in tongues and my phone kept going off. And I kept looking at it and responded to people's text messages. And I heard the Lord say, just put away the phone. Now when I pray, I turn the phone off. Because you've got to get alone with God. And you know why some of us is put in the garden? Because God can't get you alone unless He puts you in the garden. You know why you're in the valley? Because you're too busy. He's got to get you in the valley to get your attention. You know why you're in the fire? Because you're too busy running around doing everything else. He's got to put you in the fire to get your attention so you can get quiet, so He can have some alone time with you, so He can mold you and make you and shape you into the person He's called you to be. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days. Luke 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke 6, 12. He continued all night in prayer to God. He prayed all night. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, verse 7. Notice the prayer ministry of Jesus. Hebrews 5, verse 7. While in the days of the flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications and cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death and was heard because of His godly fear, who? Jesus, in the days of His flesh, offered up prayers and supplications to God. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke 5, verse 16. The Scripture says, And so He often withdrew Himself to the wilderness, and there he prayed. See, what do you do in the garden? You pray in the garden. That's what you do. What do you do when you feel pressure? You pray. 
What do you do when you feel the, the pressures of life? You pray. What do you do on Wednesday nights when we don't feel like praying? We pray. When you feel the pressure, you pray more. Number two, what do you do in the garden? Not only do you have to pray and find a place to pray, number two, you've got to sweat it out. You've got to sweat it out. Jesus began to pray, and you know what happened? The Bible says his sweat became great drops of blood. In other words, Jesus sweated it out. Sometimes you've got to stick through it. You can't give it up. I don't know if that's a word or not, but you've got to have some stickability about your life and perseverance about your life and stick it through. Jesus sweated it out. And it's interesting that in the Garden of Guess, in the Garden of Eden, when man was cursed because of sin, the Bible says in Genesis 3:19, he told the man, "In the sweat of your face ye you shall eat your bread, and you shall till the ground by the sweat of your face." That was a part of the curse. Sweat was a part of the curse. It represented work. But isn't it interesting? That, that was the Garden of Eden. But now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the other garden, God is saying, I'm going to reverse the curse. They sweated in the garden because of their sin, but now my sweat's going to become blood because my blood is going to reverse the curse of sin in the first garden. Hallelujah! I'm going to reverse the curse. Hallelujah! Jesus sweated in the garden. His sweat became great drops of blood. What do you do in the garden? You find a place to pray. You, you sweat it out. Number three, you've you got to be aware of it's a cup experience. Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Jesus never said it's a pitcher experience. Jesus never said it's a jug experience. Jesus said it's a cup. In other words, it's a small thing. It's something small. Oh, a cup is not very big, but how many times do we make a cup into a pitcher? How many times do we make our trials into something bigger than what they are? Jesus is saying it's just a cup. It's just a cup. It's just a cup. But Jesus said, if it's possible, let the cup pass for me. But if not, I'll drink it. And some of us act like we're drinking a pitcher every day. We're suffering for Jesus. It's a cup, folks. It's temporary. It will pass. And you can drink it. Jesus drank the cup because He's given you grace for the race. He gave Christ grace for the race. Gave Him grace for the cross. He said, if it's possible, let it pass. But if not, I submit to your will. That's how you know you got victory in the garden when your will is submitted to His will. Lastly, what do you do in the garden? Well, number four, you've got to be careful that you don't reach for things that don't work. In the garden, you've got to be careful you don't reach for things that don't work. It's our tendency when we feel pressure. It's our tendency in the garden to reach for things to bring us comfort. You've got to be careful. What are you saying, Pastor? Jesus is our great example. He's trying to pray. He leaves his prayer closet and goes and finds three of his best friends. They're sleeping. 
and they're not praying. And can you see what Jesus is trying to say here? Jesus is saying, if you read the other Gospels, Jesus is saying, do you not understand what I'm going through? Can you not see the heaviness of my heart? Can you not understand the feeling that I'm feeling? I'm getting ready to die and you're sleeping? Jesus, in his humanity, was searching for affirmation from his best friends to sympathize with him that they knew how he felt. But you'll find that when you're in the deepest, darkest hour of your life, you can't even get people who are closest to you to sympathize with anything you're going through. And it's discouraging. You want somebody to sympathize. You want somebody to recognize what you're going through. Sometimes people won't. And you've got to be okay with that. You've got to say, it's, it's well with my soul. It's okay if you sleep. It's okay if you don't go with me. It's all right if you don't fill my heart. Because I've already got the victory in the prayer closet. And my relationship is not dependent on your approval. But my relationship is secure in God Almighty. And so therefore, I can say it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. I don't need you to pat me on the back. I don't even need you to be there when I'm longing to breathe on the cross. You don't even need to be there. Peter, I was there for you. It's okay, Peter, I let you go in the garden. You don't have to be there. Peter, we're best friends. We're bros. I ate with you all. We did ministry together. I had to get to the garden and get victory over you 12 guys. Because I know I'm going to go and face the hardest thing of my life and be tortured and hung on a Roman cross and only one of them is going to show. I, I have to get victory with it. And you've got to get victory. People don't love you and like you, pat you on the back and give you the words of encouragement and affirm. You've got to get victory over it. Because people won't love you as much as you love them. People won't do for you as much as you do for them. People won't go the extra mile as much as you'll go the extra mile for that. You've got you to get victory over it. You've got to relinquish it. Jesus, in the garden, relinquished it. Whether you're there, whether you're not there, it's okay. All right. There was one that showed up. You know what his name was? John. And you know, Brother Frank, you know why he showed up? You know what the Holy Spirit revealed to me? You know why he showed up? He's the only disciple that put his head on Jesus' chest. Now, I know most of y'all are homophobic, so that doesn't happen in America. But let's just think 2,000 years ago in Jewish culture, they're not as homophobic as we are. That was a sign of of covenant brotherhood. You know 
why he was at the cross with Jesus? Because John had a piece of his heart. He laid his head on his chest and it was there that John's heart was knitted to his heart. And he says, Master, let them all leave you. Let them all betray you. I'm going to go with you all the way to the very... And not only am I going to go with you, I'll take care of your mama too. You know what type of people you need in your life? You need heart people. You need people that will lay their head upon your spiritual heart and hear your heartbeat. Those are the people that will stay with you in the garden. Those are people that will stay with you at the cross. Not fly by night, self-seeking, egotistical. Give me a throne that I may sit in your kingdom. Honor me. Jesus says, no. It's heart. It's heart. You've got to be careful that you don't reach for things that don't work. You've got to be careful you don't reach for people that don't work. You've got to be careful. There's an old hymn of the church that we used to sing years ago. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me and He talks with me. And He tells me that I am His own and the joy that we share as we tarry there no other has ever known. Where does that happen? It happens in the garden where He talks with us. Happens. It's in the garden that I put my head on his chest. My heart becomes his heart. And you know what? In the garden, when my heart is connected to his heart, I can make it through the valley. I can make it through the wilderness because there's such a security with the master. Hallelujah!